Hey folks, it's Jared. I'm joined today by Dr. Chris Ma. Chris is the Wargaming Research Program Director at CNA, and we're going to be talking about some of CNA's efforts in the wargaming field. This episode was edited and produced by Dr. Ed Salo. We are still looking for additional audio editors. We're happy to provide you some very basic training materials and instruction in a low-stress environment. So if you're interested in finding a way to contribute to SimSec and add to your resume and personal skill set, please send us an email with your resume to ccontrol at simsec.org. I want to take the opportunity to recommend our partners in the SimSec Podcast Network, The Bilge Pumps. You can find Alex, Jamie, Drack, and a pile of iron brew bottles wherever you download your podcasts. On that note, I'll turn it over to Kimber's men. You're listening to Sea Control, hosted by the Center for International Maritime Aloha, shipmates, and welcome back aboard Sea Control. My guest today is the Wargaming Research Program Director at the Center for Naval Analyses, Dr. Chris Moss. So, Chris, thank you so much for joining us. Can you start by giving the listeners a little bit more of your background? Sure. Uh, so, yeah, I'm uh, Christopher Ma. I uh, went to school in a small little liberal arts college called Coe College in Iowa, where I majored in physics and in philosophy. And then after being there for in Iowa for four years, I Went, wanted to live in a big city, so I went to, to Georgia Tech, where I got my PhD in materials science and engineering. And then at uh, 27, I got my first real job, uh, and I worked uh, had the privilege of working at DARPA, which is the Defense Advanced Research Projects Agency. It's kind of like the uh, R&D department of the DOD. They're credited with making things like the internet, uh, GPS, um, all cool, like blue sky ideas, uh, very uh, innovative technology. Uh, after being there for about seven years, I decided like I wanted to, I wanted to have a more immediate impact uh, in terms of what I was doing. So rather than working on things that were 15, 20 years down the line, I thought I'd uh, do something that's a little closer. And through serendipity, I found CNA where I joined in 2012. Uh, they sort of plucked me out and said, hey, uh, we need some analysts to be part of the Wargaming team, a new team that was sort of forming within CNA. I had never done Wargaming before, so I was like, am I going to be playing Risk all day? I didn't, I didn't quite understand what was going on, but um, I said, sure, if you want to pay, pay, pay me to play games, I'm, I'm more than happy to, to do that. Uh, I learned that it's a lot more complicated, a lot more scientific, with a lot of uh, artistry as well involved in that. I've been there since uh, for almost 10 years now. And a couple of years ago, I took over as the director. And so I'm helping uh, lead the team to uh, hopefully do continue to do great things to help uh, help the Department of Navy as well as the DOD. So that's me. Well, thanks. I started smiling as soon as you brought up Coe College, because that is uh, roughly the area of the country that I'm from. So, you know, we can follow up on that offline and talk about <laughs> what there is to do in uh, some of the, the rural Midwest. And as a reminder to our listeners, all opinions express our own, not reflective of any institution with which we might be otherwise associated. So on that note, um, Chris, what is the Center for Naval Analyses and what does CNA do? Yeah, so CNA is a federally funded research and development center, uh, FFRDC, that is in particular serves the Department of Navy. So it's nonprofit. And, you know, at the heart of it, what we do is we kind of solve squishy, ill-defined, complex issues um, by applying scientific rigor and analysis. And hopefully at the end of the day, 
that rigor and that analysis creates actionable solutions for the problems that are, you know, uh, of, of national importance to the Department of Navy and the DOD at large. So I'm going to add one more caveat to this, too. We are recording this March 12th. Uh, I'm not sure what date it's going to air, but typically we're airing, you know, about a month after we record. Uh, obviously, the Russian invasion of Ukraine is going on. So if there's anything that comes up that uh, our listeners think may have been pertinent uh, in between March 12th and uh, whenever this goes to air, that's why we're not asking the question. Um, but Chris, uh, what, what types of organizations are typically commissioning games with you? Is it just the Navy or do you, you know, do you work for the COCOMs as well? What else do you guys do? Yeah. So, you know, as the the Department of Navy's FFRDC, we, uh, a large number of our sponsors are, you know, part of the Navy and the, and the Marine Corps. So with, within them, we have organizations like OPNAV N4, N2N6, uh, NAVFAC, PACFleet, MARSOC, the MEFs. Um, and that makes up probably around 50, 30 to 50% of the sponsors that we have. It fluctuates year to year. Um, outside of that, though, we also work with the joint staff. Uh, the last year, two years, we've worked a lot closely with uh, J4, J7, J8. Uh, you mentioned earlier the combatant commands. Uh, they are definitely a part of our portfolio, as well as uh, AFRL, OSD policy. So we're really sort of all over the place in terms of the types of organizations that we are we get to work with. We get to you know help try to understand whatever issues they're looking at. And what's nice is that having that large uh, swath of of people that we get to work with, we get to bring all that information, all that knowledge to help inform all the other types of games, right? So, you know, maybe we're working for the joint staff, right? But that's going to eventually trickle down to the Navy. So all of our Navy and all of our Marine Corps sponsors get to have the that knowledge of what's coming down the pipe for them because we were, we have that exposure. Now, how have you seen demand signal shift over your 10 years with the organization? And it, as you answer this, you know, Feel free to answer that you can answer by warfighting function, by region, by event. For example, you know, I know there was there's been a much larger push into wargaming since uh, Vice Chairman Paul. So General Selva was the vice chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, famously wrote a War on the Rocks article about reinvigorating wargaming. Yeah, so I will say like uh, uh, both Selva and, and work are kind of our patron saints of wargaming within the DOD. Uh, we saw a large uptick and I know quite honestly are, are still riding that wave uh, for the emphasis that was uh, placed or replaced maybe um, on, on wargaming. Um, and so as, as a wargame director, I'm, I'm very happy to come out and uh, sort of address that. Uh, but in terms of like actual other types of, of places that I've seen it grow, you know, Clearly, with the uh, pivot to the Pacific, uh, we've seen a larger in uptick in problems in that region, uh, examining different facets of some of the uh, policy, war fighting, uh, allies and partners, all those kind of things uh, have been, you know, within the last five, six, seven years, uh, been, uh, been have, have increased. Um, I think cyber Right. I think the cyber as because it becomes more and more mature as being folded further into the uh, into the, the war game community. I'm sorry, into the not the war gaming community as it's been folded into the uh, domains for war fighting. 
we've gotten a little bit more interest in sort of seeing and understanding that. Uh, logistics, logistics has been a large uptick. Mainly I've seen because of that was the portfolio that I managed before I took over as the director, uh, the importance of logistics uh, and having that in place in order to fight effectively was has never been a large uptick. Um, I would say in the recent years, we've seen more about simultaneity, right? How do we fight two fights at the same time? Um, how do we uh, keep our enemies at bay uh, with people not trying to take advantage of our opportunity? Um, and so I would say those are the main things that I've seen over the last several years. Is there a level of war, if such a thing can be said to exist, that you're t- typically examining, or is that really dependent on what the sponsor has asked for? So I will say it it definitely depends on what the sponsor is looking for. At CNA, we make we don't necessarily have a hammer and everything's in there. We want to look at our individual sponsors and their needs and the questions they're looking for. But I would say that generally, in terms of the trends that we've seen, uh, operational, uh, high operational to operational type of games are where we found ourselves executing. I think... Maybe part of that is because Wargaming is really good at being able to examine uh, concepts. And so if you have a concept that hasn't been fully fleshed out, right, you don't have the data or the information or the detail in order to do that tactical level. Um, And if you have a concept, you've probably already been given sort of that strategic guidance. So as a consequence, um, a lot of people have come to us to understand like uh, new kinds of concepts to employ or help with O plans. Uh, planning operations, uh, and things of that nature. So that's really where we've seen generally a bulk of our our war game sort of sit. So we were introduced by your colleague, Sebastian Bay, and in my discussions with him, he brought up your vision for CNA's gaming portfolio, going so far as to describe it as ambitious and necessary. Uh, What was the state of the gaming portfolio that you inherited? And then what is your vision for that portfolio? Sure. Um, so I definitely inherited a very healthy portfolio or a healthy gaming team. But in looking at it, I have, right, there's a, within the gaming community, there's sort of this uh, back and forth of is wargaming more art or more science, right? Um, and depending on where you rely on the field, uh, there's a spectrum of different answers. But I sort of tend towards a little bit more towards the artistic and some of the, our war game designers are a little bit more on the artistic side, right? It's, it's creative uh, understanding of how to balance abstraction versus reality, right? In order to get the most out of a war game, to get the data that we need in order to create um, uh, the analysis to answer a question. So because I have a bunch of creatives on my, on my team that are looking to, to not just rehash the same thing over and over again, they want to do something new. Um, I sort of looked at the portfolio and I said, okay, we're doing a lot of force on force types of games, Uh, you know, answering some questions that are iterative, right? Or slight, you know, slight changes. And I wanted to sort of expand that. And so what my vision was, was to take Wargaming. And when when people think of Wargaming, they generally think of a large map that has, you know, either pucks or cubes or little... um, uh, little figures that are representing ships or tanks or aircraft, right? And they're and they're fighting, right? That's the force on force. But wargaming can be so much more than that. Wargaming can be expanded to address problems uh, like how best to create or stand up or modify a new organization. 
Um, we can look at wargaming to look at um, cyber, right? Which is not about, you know, not about pucks on a, on a map and, and fighting and sort of force and force. So I really wanted to expand that to look at, you know, interactions with, with partners and allies. So really take wargaming and really apply it to a host of different problems, uh, both inside and outside the DOD. Um, I think that we're seeing uh, with real world events, right, the importance of the different levers that the, that the, that the government has in terms of dime, right, the diplomacy, right? I mean, we, we focus on the DOD on that M part, the military, um, but partners and allies are going to be important. Economics is going to be important. How does a whole of government respond to it? And I want to basically, and my, my, my far off plan as I'm certainly working towards that is to be able to incorporate all those things um, and a host of different types of issues and problems uh, for our team to tackle. And I, like I said, hopefully help the DOD at writ large um, answer some of those squishy, complex, difficult problems. And I'm wondering if you've seen any impact already from the Russia-Ukraine conflict, because that, that D and that E lever, are, they're getting a little workout right now. They are. So I think because we're right in the midst of it, we haven't seen that directly. Uh, but I think it's I think it's going to come right. I think that, again, that that whole of government, uh, the other levers will be super important. And what that means is, right, the DOD, it's got a huge budget. Right. So they can afford to war game um, a lot of different things. State Department. Right. Treasury. All that they don't. Um, and so hopefully somehow uh, with this emphasis or the hopefully what will be the success of that D and that E uh, will for future conflicts or maybe even, you know, this particular conflict, uh, we can start wargaming different uh, COAs, different uh, avenues of approach in order to solve uh, some of these kind of issues in the real world. Yeah, and I guess I shouldn't have really left out the information pillar either. It's obviously we're watching right. the Ukrainians do do yeoman's work uh, in the information domain, uh, sharing their story and telling, uh, telling their people's story. Um, so opinion uh, type question here, what should DOD be incorporating into its game that we aren't doing effectively now? That's a great question. Um, I would say for, for me, what I think is my number one priority, and this is, you know, Christopher Mall talking, um, I would love to see more comms degraded uh, comms denied type of, uh, of effort into wargaming, right? It's a really hard problem, right? Um, I think that we know that if we're going to fight a near peer competitor, that uh, comms denial, comms degraded uh, environment is going to be something that we're going to have to deal with. And so being able to abstract that so that we can have our military leaders be able to make choices, understand risk, you know, um, be able to simulate the fog of war and how they're going to react to that, I think it'd be super important uh, as we move forward. Uh, additionally to that, I would say sort of um, cyber, right? Cyber is, is one of the newer domains or if not the newest domain um, in, in, in the war fight. And I find uh, cyber sort of kind of currently in war games kind of being like that SNL skit with uh, Christopher Walken of cowbells, give me more cowbell, right? That's, you know what? Just I got to have more cowbell, but not really understanding how to incorporate cyber in that multi multi domain layering. How to plan for it? How to properly execute it? Uh, and so, being able to have more cyber so that our operators, our planners, can have a, a better understanding of what it takes to do cyber, how effective cyber can be used, um, I think will be important again for, uh, in my opinion, for for the future war fight. 
and you and I spoke about this prior, uh, you and I spoke prior to this about trends you've noticed over the last few years, and you immediately thought of logistics, which again is a massive theme of the Russia-Ukraine conflict. But when did the interest in logistics start to pick up? And what types of logistics problems are you looking at, particularly as you look at Department of the Navy? Yeah. Um, so I would say for me, probably around 2014, 2015 is where uh, I saw the, I don't want to say explosion, right? But a, a larger number of sponsors coming to us to look at logistics. Uh, in terms of types of issues, right? Uh, fuel, right? As the Navy, right? The Navy uh, is, a, is a fuel carrier because uh, it's heavy, right? You're not going to be able to fly bags of fuel in airplanes. Um, so we've been looking at fuel f- for, you know, essentially since 2014, 2015, um, how we're going to move it around, and um, particularly given the, um, the pivot to the Pacific and that theater, which we have long transit times. Um, I would say within the last two or three years, uh, to include in logistics, I would say that infrastructure has been another emphasis. You know, where can we make investments to get the most bang for our buck? Um, and so we've looked at a lot of uh, different uh, organizations within the, within the Navy and the DOD in terms of um, how can we do uh, logistics, wartime logistics, uh, and particularly investments for infrastructure. Where do, where do you find your players? Are your clients providing decision makers to help you sort of play test the concepts that they're giving you? Or are you sourcing everything in-house? Oh, that, so um, one of those things is, again, it sort of depends. In an ideal world, what we would do is we would do a lot of role-playing games. And so we really want the people that have the expertise that know what it's like to sit in that job, or at least if maybe it's their boss's job, uh, but have enough experience to sort of sit and play the games. Because wargaming is about being in an immersive experience. And so um, understanding what the left and right lateral limits are of a decision-maker, of, of, a, of a role, uh, is important. And so we try to get our our sponsors to be able to reach out to, to get the actual people in those seats or in that command to play. Now, is that always the case? You know, the DOD is very, very busy. The Navy is very, very busy. The Marine Corps is very busy. So um, CNA can and has augmented in the past. Uh, we have regional experts uh, to play, uh, you know, different partners and allies. We have red experts in order that know the, our uh, red adversaries, uh, both the policy, their their leadership, as well as their uh, techniques of how to fight. So we can incorporate them. Uh, CNA is a, full of a bunch of analysts. Um, and so we have lots of different types of subject matter experts when it comes to different technologies, different uh, operations, different commands. And so as needed, we do augment. Uh, but an idea where we'd have players um, being pulled from the actual commands that we're that we uh, that we're representing in our games. That was follow up question there. Uh, how do you choose your who's going to play red for you? I know you mentioned you have some people in house. You have a sort of analysts who have some understanding in that region. But like, what are you looking for as far as a background as a red player? Because you may have two analysts who have very different views of the way a, a country acts or how their you know, decision-making functions within their particular form of government? Yeah. So I would say there are, I give two answers to that. So uh, one, we choose our red players based off of what the need, what the decision, right? So war games are about decisions when it comes down to it, right? It's about human interactions. Uh, and so 
the person will that will play in terms of their initial let's call it role so to speak will be based off who do we need do we need someone who knows who needs to know about what the leadership's going to be at sort of a national level or we need someone that's going to be know how to like know what the missile firing distance is for a particular platform right those are very very different reds players so it's going to be really dependent on um on that on what what the question is that we're looking at or what decision we need that player to make so that's first of all in terms of like you're right different players may have different uh within the intel community right we there may be different assessments within the within the same organization of what a red will will or won't do but this kind of gets at the heart of what what a war game is right a war game isn't a simulation right i can get the same group of players to play the same game several times and the outcome will be different each time because someone will come in maybe they had a bad day right maybe they're not super focused maybe they're risk averse whereas another player wouldn't have have risk aversion um, and so the fact that we're going to have that delta, we're going to have some some variation in the way someone perceives a decision in a moment of time, is completely fine, because a get war game isn't going isn't repeatable. It isn't a simulation where I hit you know hit the button and I get the same answer over again, and that's okay because a war game gives us trends. It gives us the ability to try things in a safe environment so that we can learn. And if I get a result from a war game. As an analyst, what do I do? As I, and what, do, what does my team and CNA do? We take that result and we say, okay, let's pull the thread about that. Is that something, is that a war gameism? Is that a real problem? Okay, it's a real problem. How big is that problem? Is that an outlier, right? Or is it a, an issue that we can use uh, exercises or real world data to cooperate to say, yeah, no, we've seen this over and over again. So let's, let's do further investigation in it. Let's do some, some hard analysis into that. Um, and so that's why when it comes to slight different variations in a way a player is going to play uh, or a view that someone have, for the most part, it's going to be okay. Because again, um, the, the, uh, a war game doesn't predict the future. It gives you one of a million types of potential futures. And then from that piece of data, we can then look and extrapolate out uh, to, to better understand the problem and use other techniques like analysis, like exercising, like uh, iterative wargaming to really address it. And then a follow-up question to that. It's, and I realize that the answer to this is partly a function of just funding and time, but how many times are you running each of your games to sort of, for lack of a better term, you know, quote-unquote control for personality, if you will, where you know, you're trying to see yeah. the results that you get yeah, you're going to have all these iterations of what the per the decision the individual makes in these given situations, but eventually you'll see some patterns emerge. So how many times are you typically running those to identify some of those patterns? I would say probably 80% of the games that we run are probably one-offs. And again, it's that issue of uh, time and money. The, uh, the, the sponsor needs doesn't have infinite funds or they need an answer soon in order to inform other analysis or help inform a little bit of a decision. That other 10 to 20%, uh, we do have games that are iterative in the sense of we'll play one game once, we'll wait a couple weeks maybe, maybe a couple months, we'll play it again. Or sometimes what we actually do is we'll have games that will be run concurrently. So we'll have four versions of the same game running all at once. Now that requires uh, a lot of people to play that game. Right. And so getting all those kind of people on this certain data plays can be difficult. Uh, so I would say it's a majority, a vast majority of the games that we are that we run are, are sort of one offs. 
I'm going to go back and ask another logistics question that I just thought of as you were answering there. Uh, has the Russia-Ukraine conflict and the way that we have seen it unfold, uh, which came as seems to have come as quite a surprise, the way that it's unfolding here, has it forced you all to look in-house at any of the assumptions that you built in sort of your own logistics games or to like, hey, these are aspects of this that we've observed to date that uh, we haven't effectively built into our games. So we need to look at some of these going forward. Um, so what I'll say two things, right? So the first is I, there are definitely some times where I looked at things that I saw in the news and I was like, oh, Russia did not war game logistics, right? <laughs> um, right. So they could have done better about that, right? Um, uh, so that one thing, but honestly, right. At CNA, what we sort of believe in is what we refer to as the cycle of research, which is a, a phrase coined um, by Peter Perla. And so in the cycle of research, you have three components. You have analysis, you have wargaming, and you have exercising. And it's uh, a cycle, right? So you, it goes, oh, it's iterative process going back and forth um, in any particular direction. You can enter at any particular point. So the idea is like with a war game, you do a real war game and then you can do an exercise or you can do an analysis afterwards. So that's a long way to answer to say that part of our job in order to make wargaming better is to take as much real world data as possible to help inform, like you said, the assumptions, the analysis of our war games. And we do that. And so without a doubt, when there is a reconstruction, a more detailed reconstruction of the events that have unfolded um, with Russia and Ukraine, uh, and every and everything peripheral to that, we will look at that and say, okay, how can we incorporate now we have real data to better serve uh, our customers, our sponsors, to make sure that we can not reinvent the wheel and learn from uh, from from others and from uh, from real world events. So if the Navy just gave you a bunch of funding to design whatever game that you wanted that would help the Navy and Marine Corps. What game would you want to design? Oh, what game would I want? Uh, you're asking me like to pick a child. Um, let me, let me, let me defer. Let me give you two answers. Look, you can, you can thank Sebastian for this question. This is the Sebastian. Uh, uh, I will, <laughs> I will, I will dock his pay as soon as I can. As soon as I'm back. Um, okay. So I'm, I am going to be a war gamer and say, it depends. So I'll give you two answers and I'll, I'll make them quick so that I, I don't, uh, I don't, I don't take up too much of your time. So as I, before, as I said earlier about, you know, what things are we not incorporating well, right? I would say I would personally, I'm, an, I'm on a personal quest to have comms degraded, right, games, to incorporate that, to understand what really what mission control, is, what mission command is, right, to be able to understand how we're going to address the fog of war. So incorporating that into our war fighting games, I think, uh, is something that I would love to do. Do I know how to do that right now? The answer is no. I, I have no clue of exactly how we're going to do that. Uh, but I have a bunch, like I said, I have some creatives that, that if I put on this problem, they will come up with a elegant solution in order to address this. Right. Um, and that's the beauty about the team that I have is they want to be working on the bleeding edge of the DOD problems. And not that this, not that comms degrading isn't degraded environment, isn't bleeding edge, but it's something that we haven't had to do because no one is sort of asked us to look at it. So that was the first one. Um, the second one now, again, is, is cyber. Right. Um, cyber is one of the new parts of the multi-domain um, war fights. And we at CNA have created this very sort of, I think is sort of elegant game design for a, a product, a cyber game called Merlin. But that 
that sort of, if, if we have a pie, right, Merlin addresses a very small slice of that pie, right? Uh, it's good for understanding, you know, what it takes, you know, the, the, what it takes in order to get a cyber effect. But I would like to ex- solely expand that, you know, with other types of issues to look at. Right? Merlin looks at a very specific issue, other type of, type of cyber issues. So that, again, war planners, uh, operators, um, they can better fold cyber into their multi-domain war fighting. And right now, I think it's just too novel and they don't have enough experience. And being able to fast forward that or to accelerate that as much as possible, I think would be uh, hugely beneficial to how I think the, the how I think the war fight will go, right? It's gonna be it's gonna be done with ones and zeros. Right. Uh, then rather than, you know, um, as much boots in the ground that we used to have for the way we used to fight. And then final question, uh, do you game in your free time? And if so, what are you playing and why? Uh, yeah, so I, I do. Um, I actually have uh, recently, I, well, not recently, I have three tweens in my household. And so I'm trying to get them uh, more into gaming. And uh, my condolences on the three tweens, man. Good luck. Uh, you know, I'll tell you what, it's harder than I thought it was going to be. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so I'm trying to get them to, to, to be better into gaming. Um, and so a game that we've sort of gravitated towards uh, is Secret Hitler, which is this hidden identity game. Um, I like it because it helps. I think it helps them teach about strategy and how to read people. Um, although I will say, like, I feel a little worried that they're going to take those skills that they've learned from Secret Hitler, and they're going to secretly band to uh, band together to overthrow me in a in a vicious coup. Um, but but outside of outside of my my family life, I would say uh, a game that I really enjoy, and it's again, it's one of those very simple mechanics, but very elegant, is diplomacy. Um, we've played diplomacy at CNA several years ago uh, for the first time. We, uh, we got together, and uh, it is just. It is just a, it's, it's, a, I love the game because it's about, it's about interpersonal skills. Uh, like I said, the mechanic is really simple, but the application of it is so diverse. And so I know this sounds weird, but like almost beautiful. Right. And I, I so I love playing the game. Although uh, I had to ban, we had to ban playing the game at CNA for a couple of years because people kind of gotten, gotten, gotten some, some hurt feelings and yeah, I mean- mistrust. I've never played diplomacy, but everything I've ever heard about it is like you will never be friends with the people that you play with diplomacy after you've played diplomacy. It is that is definitely an issue. But luckily, at the wargaming team, right, we we all play enough games that we are able to suspend belief and be like, all right, this is a, a, a safe environment where the decisions we're making are only because that's what is being incentivized by the game. And you know, uh, but even like I said, even that, uh, there were still some people on the team were like. I can't work with that person anymore because I can't trust them. I'm like, no, wait, that was, well, I was Austria and they took, took over. Like, yeah. So anyways, um, but yeah, so, so diplomacy is a game that I love, but again, yes, I have to be careful of who I play with um, and, and make sure that we, I don't uh, lose friends and or coworkers. All right. Well, that's unfortunately all the time that we have for today. I'd like to thank my guest, Dr. Christopher Ma. Uh, Chris, where can we find you online? and What's your next project? If you can talk about it. Uh, yeah, so um, you can find me at LinkedIn or uh, you can find me at cna.org. Uh, we have a wargaming page there that's got uh, information about uh, both myself and some of the other team, as well as some of the, uh, the unclassified work that we've done. Uh, in terms of next projects, 
Uh, well, we look to be pretty busy for this spring and summer, um, hopefully sort of supporting some of those squishy issues that are, you know, are present to, uh, to the different organizations that we are working with. Um, and hopefully we get some good results that can help the, help the DOD. So that's what we're doing in, in the short term, at least in the, at the level that I can speak to here. Well, thanks again for coming on to the listeners. Thank you for tuning in. We'll see you next time.